Welcome, everybody. If you're visiting for the first time, uh, welcome. We're going to continue on into uh, through Second Timothy, actually finishing up chapter 1 today. Um, did everybody get the questions or some of the questions possibly that sent out on Friday? Okay. Um, so towards the end, um, I want to have a little, dis- little more discussion time. Um, so I sent those out so you could have, actually think about uh, the questions instead of me just throwing them at you real quick and having to come off on the spot. So I hope we have some good discussion time after this um, a little bit. So, but let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for the blessing it is to, uh, to not only be here on a Sunday worshiping you, Lord, but to be among the other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that honor. Um, but most importantly, Lord, we just thank you for everything that you continually do for us, Lord. Lord, we, have, we see that everything that you do is a blessing. Lord, it's, um, it's in your will. It's in your sovereign plan uh, for all the things that happen in our lives, Lord. And we owe you thankfulness, gratitude gratefulness and everything that is uh, blessed upon us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we see it that way. Lord, as we continue through 1 Timothy and um, Paul's very close to death, his main focus, like we've been talking about, is to continue on the legacy of your word and for it not to change, not to be corrupted, and for men not to be corrupted by it, by the false teaching, but to be strengthened and encouraged by your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for Paul's ministry. Thank you for uh, allowing him to be an instrument in your hands to further the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we would be instruments too for you to further the gospel to those that we come in contact with on a daily basis, to family members, to friends, and to anyone you so desire to put in our path. And Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you just be with us this morning as we read through your word. Uh, let your spirit fill this room. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. So I just want to, uh, again, start off. Start off with um, just reading through the chapter, because it's the last time we'll, not last time we'll read it, but the last message on this first chapter. So we're going to start First Timothy, and we'll start in verse 1. I'm sorry, not First Timothy, Second Timothy, sorry. Second Timothy, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And here are the verses that we'll focus on today. 15, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagilius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul has given us an awesome outline here through his, for this first book. Starts off again with his authority. He leads into affirmation for Timothy and encouragement for Timothy. And then he goes on to encourage him not to be ashamed and give him reasons to not be ashamed, which is our faith and our hope in Christ. What God did for us by saving us, 9 and 10, by giving us his word and encouraging us to retain the word and to guard the word. Paul has laid everything out for Timothy on how to keep going. And then you get down to verses 15 through 18. And you've got to be honest when I'm studying this kind of confused why they're there. It's kind of a random statement. It's, you know, it's guard, the, with the, guard through the Holy Spirit which dwells in us the treasure which has been trusted to you and then all of a sudden you're aware of the fact that all turned away from me. 
Look, we have a great pastor. He's talking to Greg, and he kind of pointed some stuff out to me, and you see the difference now. See why he put it here. He's saying, at this whole time, Timothy, don't be ashamed. And when he gets to the end here of the first chapter, he tells him, look, you can go two directions. You can be like the first group here in verse 15, or you can be like Onesiphorus in verse 16 through 18. So we have two contrasting people here. Who does Timothy want to be associated with? Do we want to be associated with those who run away, who are ashamed, who deserted Paul? Or do we want to be with those who eagerly searched for Paul and supported him? So that's what we're going to look at here. So 1 Corinthians 15, tells us, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul starts off with, you are aware of the fact. So Timothy is not... He already knew about this. He knew about people leaving Paul. He knew about these two individuals. We'll talk a little bit more in a minute. But he knew that people were deserting Paul. Maybe that's why he was crying when we go back, remembers his tears. We're not 100% on that one yet, but it could be. But he knows that people are leaving him. And he says, where are the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me? So that's a big area, right? So Asia, Asia Minor, uh, Paul spent a lot of time on his missionary journeys through Asia. Um, matter of fact, Ephesus is the capital of Asia. So Ephesus was a prominent city, uh, very well populated. Um, so when it's, it's interesting when he says all who are in Asia turned away from me, because when I look at it, Timothy's in Asia right now, right? He's in, he's in Ephesus. And in verse 17, 18, he mentions Onesiphorus. And so his family's in Ephesus. So maybe not He's not meaning it all literally, but we got to remember where Paul's at. Paul's in a dungeon, chained up, cold, lonely. His hope is in the Lord. He knows where he's going. He knows that he has run the good race. He knows that he is, the crowns are laid up in heaven for him. He knows his reward, he's about to get his reward, but yet he's still human. I think we forget that about Paul sometimes, don't we? We look at Paul and we hold him up here when he's just like us. He was given a huge responsibility, yes, but so are we. And I know sometimes I feel lonely, and I'm sure you do too, especially when you're ministering and you're trying to witness to people and you're trying to be a light in a dark world. I think sometimes we feel lonely, and sometimes it can feel like everybody's turned away from me. You know, I think about how we use these words sometimes, and I I do think it's an absolute way we use some things too. Um, You know, they always say in a marriage, don't ever use the absolutes of never or always, right? You always do this or you never do that because we know that's not true. Um, but we say those things, and, that, and that's what I see Paul doing here. He's, he's just in this place where every, I mean, I think the majority of people have turned away from him, and he just feels alone. And Timothy's aware of that. And so when we look at these things, and we, it's the example for us, I think, through this is, is that be careful on how we approach life. I'm not saying that you can't use these terms and these words, but as Paul goes on, he's remembering those who did stay with him, who did support him, who were continuing to carry on his message like Timothy is. And so he's saying, you're aware of the fact all the Asia turned away from me. And then he goes on to specifically call out two people, which is very interesting, right? Valdilius and Hermogenes. We don't know much about Phygelius and Hermogenes. They're not mentioned much in the, in the scriptures, so we don't know that much about them. But we do know that obviously Timothy knew who they were. More than likely, they are prominent men in Ephesus. Um, they could have been elders. They could have been deacons, some, some high position in the church. And the reason why we see this is because we know in 1 Timothy that Paul commands Timothy in 1 Timothy 20. It says, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. And he's telling that about elders. So when he's telling them to discipline each other's, it's, you know, we go through Matthew 18 and we look at church discipline, it's a private matter until the person just refuses to uh, repent of their sins, and then it gets to the point where they have to be brought, brought before the church. But when it comes to elders, it's quick, right? Two or three witnesses have to come and bring, bring the approach to the elder board, and then once it's found a sin and they won't repent, it has to be, they brought before the church very quickly. And that's the reason why, so that others would be fearful of sinning. And now you have these two men who, for the rest of eternity, their names are written in the Bible. The most read book ever, the most published book ever. So I think Paul is making a huge, huge point here in calling out these two men. Obviously, there was a lot more that turned away from him. But these two had to be 
pretty prominent for, for Paul to call him out by name. Now, we can learn two things from that, I believe. One is, don't be like these men. Don't desert Paul. Don't desert the word, really. That's what he's doing here. But also, we need to be like Paul and be strong enough and courageous enough to hold men accountable, especially within the church. We need to hold our elders accountable. We need to hold those who teach and bring the word accountable. And we need to bring it fast and swift and make it known. And I'm not saying we need to publish this in the newspaper or anything like that, but I think as a church, in order to keep it pure, to keep it holy, to keep it God's church, then we need to be strong enough and courageous enough and bold enough for Christ, for God, for the purity of his word, to bring those who are preaching heresy or preaching wrong doctrines or in sin before the church. I personally have not experienced this. I know some of you think, I think you guys have experienced this, maybe in other churches. I know uh, I didn't grow up in the church, but when I started going to church, um, that I never knew about church discipline until I started coming to Crossway. And I think it's kind of sad. I've, never, I've, not seen, I've only seen it done here um, a little bit, uh, but not to this fact where an elders had to be called out. Um, I know that some of you guys have in other churches. And how does, how does that make you feel when you see that being done? Good. Why good, Robert? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, It's uncomfortable probably too, though, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, it, and that's a good point, too. I think um, when you look back up, and this way he tells him uh, in verse 5, he tells Timothy, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice. Right? He's telling him their faith helped get you to your faith, but it's your faith. right? Our faith is our faith. Our faith cannot be in anything other than our faith is in Christ. right? And I think what happens a lot of times, especially in some churches, where the, where's the faith at? Like you said, it's in the pastor, right? It's like... They're not, their faith isn't in Christ. They've put this pastor on a pedestal where Christ should be. And so when that person falls, they fall. And a lot of times the church falls, uh, which is very sad. And we've, you know, there's a bunch of prominent big churches out there that have fallen because the, help, the head pastor has not been he- held to a higher standard. Or um, people have put them too much on. Their faith is in that person. Their faith is in on Christ, right? And then what happens is that church dissolves. And where do those people go? I don't know. You know, I, back probably 15 15, I'm getting old, 15 years ago or so, um, I was working with a guy who was going to a local church, and he was very involved, loved the pastor, well, the pastor ended up having an affair, got, the church kind of died, and this guy just went off the wall. He didn't hold his faith, his faith was in the wrong thing, right? His faith was in that pastor, not in, um, not in Christ. So yeah, so I think those are both awesome answers. Any other thoughts on that? Why it's a good thing, why do we not do it? I mean, we only do it if we have to do it, right? <laughs> Why do we not do it more often? I shouldn't say that. We only do it when it has to be done. But yeah. No thoughts on that?
Awesome. Yeah, and unfortunately, the world sees it a different way, right? They see it as we're being hateful, we're a clique, and we don't really like people. Only, only thing I know, uh, local church around here a few years ago um, did a, a member, female member, and it was blown up in the paper how bad the church is because they were doing church discipline, but yet it was rightly, it was supposed to be done, it was done rightly, but yet it gets blown out of the world. But when we do it rightly, it's a worshipful experience, and you're trying to restore a brother to Christ, and that's, that's awesome. So when we look at these things, we need to take that into account. We need to be willing and bold enough and courageous enough to stand for Christ and for God and for his word and then hold those who teach more accountable. You know, I mean, it's clear in this word, he says, those who teach will be held more accountable. James tells us that. So, um, so we need to be honoring Christ in these things and by doing these things. And Paul definitely does it here by singling out these two individuals. But it's not the only time that people have turned away from prominent men in the scriptures, right? We can go back to the Old Testament. We don't have to turn there, but uh, Isaiah was left alone, right? First Kings 19, 14 says, And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And then verse 18, God tells them, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So here we have Isaiah feeling alone. A little different time. They were, they were definitely turning from God at this time, and they were, uh, they were trying to kill all the prophets, but yet God spares Isaiah. But we see clearly there that Isaiah says, and I alone am left. He feels alone again, right? But then he gets the encouragement from, from God. He says, no, no, you're not alone. I've kept 7,000 for you, so stay with them. And we see that, too, with Timothy, or Paul's telling Timothy, you know, you start to feel alone. Well, you know, I'm not alone. Osiphorus searched for me, came for me. I'm getting that a little bit more here. Even our Savior himself was deserted a couple times, actually. If you want to turn uh, to John chapter 6, I'm going to read a little bit from here. This is, uh, this is an awesome chapter, but it's a, it's a hard chapter to understand even for us these days. When Jesus is talking about that, he is the bread and the wine, and, the, the bread and the water, and that you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And it's just a very hard statement that he's talking about here. And so Jesus is teaching these things, and we'll see at the end of it what happens here. So uh, we'll start in verse 59. So John 6, 59, it says, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not willing, and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So you see from this that Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of disciples, not just his 12. And when the times got a little tough, Jesus' teaching got a little rougher, a little harder to understand or harder to, to believe. They just left him. But Jesus knew this was going to happen, of course. He doesn't get downtrodden. He doesn't feel abandoned in this, at this time. And then he asks his 12, what about you guys? And Peter correctly answers for once instead of being... Uh, Peter. Peter actually answers correctly to him and says, you have the words of eternal life, and we know who you are, the true believers who are in Christ. So, but then Peter made a mistake too, didn't he? Jesus was betrayed again at his crucifixion, or before his crucifixion, when he was taken that night. We know that Peter denied him three times. After Peter had told him, hey, I'll die with you. I'll die with you, Christ. I'll go anywhere and I'll die with you. Soonly after that, he couldn't even tell a little slave girl that he was a follower of Christ because he was, he was ashamed and embarrassed. But he was re restored, and we know Peter's life from there. So Paul's not the first one 
to be left alone. And he's drawing on these things of his memory as he's in this prison. And we even have it in 2 Timothy 4.10, we see another one. So 2 Timothy 4.10 says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So now he has one currently. Demas is, was with Paul in Rome. We know from Colossians 14, um, he was there with Luke and some others. Uh, they were with Paul there serving. So Demas at one point had obviously been a loyal servant to Paul, loyal servant to the, to the message, to the Christ. Um, but then the world overtook him. The love of the world overtook him. He was w- more willing to give his life for the world instead of for Christ. He was embarrassed to be around Paul, and so he deserted him. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, because I think you have two different people here. I can't say necessarily that everyone that deserted Paul here were unbelievers, right? So if we look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, when he gets to verse 20, he says, In a large house there are many vessels, some for common use and some for holy use, right? So he's, there's, there's still believers, but some are deserted him. So I can't say for sure that they all are unbelievers. I do think some probably are. They're just scared and running. I think we see that through our whole life. And I think God can still use that opportunity to teach them through that. But then I think when he points out, calls out two people by name, and then he calls, and then you have somebody like Demas, who was in Asia too, that turned away from him, but he says he loved this world. I would say that those were not true believers. And we can see that from Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. It talks about this like that. You know, four, starting verse 4 says, For in this case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So we see that, right? It could be in our church today. There's people that are playing the game in a way. They may think that they're believers in a way, but when times get rough, times get hard, you'll really see the testing of fire will call out those who are true believers. And that's how Paul continues to go on here. So after he calls these people out to Timothy, warns Timothy about those who are ashamed and who want to leave, he goes into to just praising Onesiphorus. In verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house Onesiphorus. So we see that first word there, not just Onesiphorus, but his whole house. Right? He's asking God to grant mercy to the whole house of Onesiphorus. Which we see that a lot through, even through Acts, when they say they got baptized and they baptized the whole household. The whole household become believers. What I see here is the importance of a godly man. Onesiphorus obviously was a very godly man. And later he says in verse 18, you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So again, we don't know for sure, but Onesiphorus could have been an elder, could have been a fellow worker. Even if he wasn't, we know that he served Ephesus and he served the church and he served with Timothy. And he served with Paul. And he was a very loyal man. And being that way... His whole house obviously is saved. His whole house is praised by Paul, and Paul's asking for them to have mercy on that whole house. So the importance here is find, be associated with godly men who are leading their households well, who are serving in the church, and like verse 17, but in Rome he eagerly searched for me and found me. They are not ashamed. Verse 16, he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. We need to be more, Timothy, you need to be more like Onesiphorus and less like Phalgelius and Hermogenes. You need to be unashamed of me. You need to be unashamed of the gospel. And you need to continue the work that you were set out to and performed to do by the laying on of my hands, the prophecy that was given to him. So you see the two different people here that Paul is encouraging Timothy to choose between. And I think that's a huge statement for us too is who do we want to be associated with who do we want to truly be right do we want to be people that are associated with the people that are ashamed or do we actually want to be one of those leaders that people say I want to be associated with them because they hold true to the word they're guarding the word they're retaining the word they're preaching the word they're living the word their life is an example that where their whole household resembles it do we want to be followers of them or actually be those people too I don't think we're all called for that, right? I think that uh, there is a, a calling for leadership and eldership and that, but we can all be held in high regard the way we do things and the way that we uh, approach life in that way. 
So when I ask the question, so which one are you, right? Are you one that's going to follow the ones that you shouldn't be associated with, or are you going to follow the ones that you should be associated with? And that's what I'm going to get into right now. I'll get a little to the discussion questions. So if you didn't get the discussion questions, I'll ask them. Um, if you did get them, you can bring them out. But this is time I, want, I really want to discuss some of these things because I think it goes a little further than me just sitting here just in a, in a one monologue way. I, I don't want to have a dialogue here because I think it's easy to get up and say, hey, be associated with this people. Don't be associated with this people, this type of people. Or be this type of person, be this type of person. But I think it's more complicated than that in life, right, because we are human. And we do have certain desires, we do have certain um, characteristics, we have certain things we like, certain things we enjoy, um, and we are in the world with people, and we need to be witnesses to those people. So, um, so I asked a few questions, hopefully you've looked through, there's some of them, if not, you get them now and we can discuss these things. Um, so my first question was, you know, how do we choose who we hang out with? So if we're choosing friends, how do we, how do we choose our friends? Oh, sorry. I can't. Y'all in the back. I can't. What'd you say? Somebody's trustworthy. That's who you choose to hang out with. So how do you know they're trustworthy to begin with? How do you know they're trustworthy before? When you first meet them, how do you know they're trustworthy? Like, and you're right. I'm not saying right, but how do, how do what attracts us to other people? What, why do we go to try to be friends with certain people? You want to hang out with them because they're trustworthy. Yeah, that's, I, I agree with it. Yeah. You understand the question? Okay. Hmm? How do you choose who to be friends with? Yes. Right. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Joe, I'll hear that. But yes. No, I agree, yeah. Have interests and you get along with each other, but then it's got to go deeper than that to be a true friendship, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dana.
No, perfect. Yeah, Patrick. Right. Yeah. I know I think about that. I think when I, when I was a kid, how do, I choose, how do you choose your friends sometimes? It's whoever has the best toys. <laughs> you know, I like to ride horses, so I found the people that had the horses or, you know, dirt bikes or boilers. You find those people and you become friends with them and hopefully you have the same thing in common or you get to use their stuff. But it's a selfish desire, right? Yeah. So things change when you become a believer. So I think we all kind of hit on some of how we choose our friends or choose who you want to spend time with. Sometimes it is selfish. It's based on your interests, what you like, maybe your career, where you're put at. And you have to spend a lot of time, eight hours a day or more, <clears throat> with these certain people. But it goes a little bit beyond that, too, when you're, when you're thinking about these things. And I think you hit on a lot of the good things and a lot of the important things. And also when you look at the way that Paul encouraged Timothy, you know, multiple times he says, you know, till that day. You know, the last day when, when the Lord comes back or when you die, eternity. His focus was always on eternity, right? Eternity with Christ. It wasn't on the here and now. And I think when we can do that, so certain things like you said, choose our friends or choose who we want to hang out with. Sometimes we do have a temporal, makes me feel good. I get along with this person a little better. It's kind of natural and it's easier, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily right, right? Sometimes doing the churches and being with other people is hard. So um, so that kind of leads to my second question there, and I'll answer it a little bit. We'll, we'll do it really anyway, uh, see if we can go through it. I can read it here. Do you find yourself having more in common sometimes with non-believers than with believers? So we talk about we, we usually meet somebody first for the we have central, uh, similar interest. Sometimes that's more, sometimes it's with non-believers than with believers. Do you all find that to be the case sometimes? Yeah? So how do you how do you foster a better relationship with, how, what do you do with those, in those situations? What do you do with those relationships? So foster those relationships with non-believers to just be able to preach to them and preach the word to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we all have probably friends that we were friends with before we were believers, possibly. Um, right? And so how do those relationships 
happen? How do, what goes from there once you become a believer and they don't? They get harder, right? Um, when my, I, have a, I have a good friend. Well, it's hard to say good friend. Now he's not a believer, but he was a good friend for a long time. Um, and he moved to Iowa. We don't see him as much anymore. But he's not a believer, and, it's, and it, so they raise their kids differently. You know, they have different ideas on things. So getting with them and hanging out with them, we just, it's not your interests change. And that's what I was kind of getting at. So sometimes you have some interest or some common hobbies with non-believers. But if you're a believer, your interests will change, right? And the way that your priorities will, should change as you, re, you develop into the word of God and as you allow the, the spirit and his word to change you and mold you into more Christ-likeness, those things change. So kind of my, my point was here is you should be leaning more towards those relationships faltering in a way of not wanting to spend that much time with them other than discipleship and we're still called to, to preach the word to them. But it should be drawn more to, to the people that are in your body in the church, right, to, to believers. Um, we see that. But, I, you know, those are different things, you know. Is, and is it, wrong to, is it wrong to spend time with non-believers that you have similar interests with? Even if it's not just to, to actually just hammer the word at them or to, to preach gospel, is it wrong to do that? No. Steve Shaker said no. No. I mean, because we all have different interests, right? Not everybody in here likes to do the same things I like to do, right? Or and we, we have similar but not the same, and so there's some people that are unbelievers. But I do think it's, it's a good opportunity to be a witness. It's a good opportunity to show that you're not ashamed, right? It's a good opportunity to, uh, to, write, to be Christ-like. It's a great opportunity, too, when you're doing certain things, especially I like to play sports. And a lot of non-believers, when they play sports, like to use foul language and argue and fight. And, and it's like it's a good opportunity for you to show something different, right? Greg likes to you play ball, and you go down the Y a lot, and so you hear it, and you see it a lot, right? And so you get a chance to be an example there, but you don't want to miss out on an opportunity to do that if you don't have anybody else that does, has a similar interest, interest as you do. So, yeah. Um, so number three kind of goes along with this, too. So how do you foster relationships within church when you might not have as much in common? So we have the commonality of Christ, right? But still there's that personality attachment, right? We... we tend to get along with certain people that we're more similar with. So how do you go beyond that and foster even better relationships and friendships with those that you may not have as much in common with? How do we do that? Martin's saying serving together. When you serve together, you get to know each other a little better, right? Yeah, especially when you're helping do physical serving, you can learn a lot about people sometimes. <laughs> How do they handle that? Do they like being put under pressure? How else? How else can we foster better relationships within the body? Agree.
it's interesting, it goes back to what Patrick was saying before, our, our first inclination is sinful, right, selfish, but yet if we go selfless, it fosters relationships a lot better, yeah. How else? What do we do in the church that helps foster these relationships? We currently do stuff right now, that's what I'm asking. What do we do currently right now to help foster those relationships? Yeah, small groups. Small groups is a, gr- a great way. Helping tear down after service. <laughs> I think he's trying to get some help here. <laughs> I think you need more help setting up, right? Not to, to help us set up. <laughs> yeah. But you can, it's serving again. You get to talk to people while you're rolling up. I've met a lot more people here because sometimes we don't get to go out once we're done playing and we're trying to tear down. We don't get to come out and mingle with as much people. So you do get to, when people come up on stage, you get to know people a little bit better. Yeah. And I think that's great because how else can we hold each other accountable if we don't know what's going on in their lives? I hate to say their business, but, but it is, right? You know, when you intimately know somebody more, you can hold them more accountable. How can we know if they're in sin if they're not willing to share that? And I think that's what small groups are a little bit supposed to be about, well, fostering those relationships closer. So, yeah. <laughs> we get it, Robert. You won't help tearing down. But you also have, uh, I think, when you have people over your house. Breaking dinner, breaking, breaking bread with people. Get to know them on a more intimate level. That's a huge time, right? Because you're not going anywhere, at least till the meal's done. So <laughs> you can tell really quickly if they like you, how fast they eat, right? <laughs> I got to go. Let's shove this down my mouth real quick. But I think that's a good one, breaking bread. I mean, look at the way that when Jesus taught, he'd go into people's homes and he'd break bread with them and just talk and just fellowship. He was always with his, um, with his disciples, eating together, talking over things. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. So my last couple questions um, kind of deal with the, the group that deserted Paul and left, and we see this some time and time again. We don't want to be like these people. We want to foster those relationships, like all the good things you're talking about here. But then there's also going to be people when times get tough, times get hard, that, are, that will desert and leave. So I was looking at just thinking through this, and so my last two questions kind of have to deal with that. So number four says, what makes individuals or families leave the church, either all together like either leave the church altogether or end up just going to another church. This one, right? No, any church. Why do people come and go? Why do people leave churches? Why do they leave for good or why do they leave for others? Daniel's going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good reason, but that is a reason that <laughs> people do, yes. Yeah. Because kids. They want to make their, their kids happy, right? They have friends going to this church. It's a lot more fun. They have, a, they have a activities that we don't have, that kind of thing, yeah. And I, I see, I've, I've seen that a lot, especially with our church starting. Uh, we, lo- we lost a lot of people, you know, when it first started because we didn't have a, the youth program or the, um, anything for their kids to do instead of stay and help develop that and nurture that into something. It's just like we'll just go wherever it's set up, right? So, yeah. What else? Why do other people leave churches? Don't feel connected, right? And I would say, especially in our church, if you don't feel connected in our church, um, I don't think you tried. Because <laughs> I, I, I know everybody tries to reach out, and I see it all the time, just, ran, just going up to everybody that visits and um, seeing that, not hiding from that and trying to build those relationships. So, but yeah, I, I, we hear that time. Is that a good reason to leave a church because you don't feel connected? No. I would say, again, maybe you should not, that person who's leaving needs to dive in a little bit more. What else? Yeah. Maybe 
I totally agree. I've seen that a couple times, and I've seen it work. I've actually seen it a really good way where they did go and work things out and sit down and talk things biblically out instead of just saying, I want to get up and leave, right? I want to go where I agree with. Or some people leave because they won't do, they want their ears tickled, right? They don't really want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear, right? What else? Anything else to think of? And again, that would be going back to like Patrick, like they're not, they don't want to talk about it, right? They don't want to try to sit down and learn sometimes, yeah. yeah. And we don't want to make anybody feel that way, definitely, at all, right? We want to raise them up and help them understand the word better and to, to grow in the word, right? Yeah. So what is, what is a reasonable reason to leave the church? Or is there one? So preaching wrong, right? Here, Caesar. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, is it okay just to get up and just leave, or should you do something? Okay. And if they don't repent <laughs> and help tear down the stage. <laughs> right. You stay. Yeah. Good. Obviously, if you move for job reasons or something like that, it's okay to hopefully you still stay in contact though with the body when if that happens. And you definitely find a church that is um, preaching the word and holding true when you do move. If you have to for jobs. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And, and the reason why I brought that up about leaving the church, because I think that's, we talked about, Paul talks about those who deserted, deserted him, and that means they did leave the body and didn't stay close to it, right? And so my encouragement from this lesson for you guys is to, um, first of all, to choose rightly who you want to hang out with and be associated with, right? You want to be associated with those who are searching out the scriptures and holding true to the scriptures um, and are living a life honorable to that. Um, and you want to kind of stay away from those definitely who run from the scriptures or want to have their ears tickled and don't really pay attention to the truths of scripture that he's laid, that is laid out clearly. Um, and then two, we need to be, as Paul's commanded several times, unashamed. We need to be like Onesiphorus. And we need to be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of Christ, unashamed of those that we know that are holding true to that who may be um, one day put in prison or something. We may have to go support them. Uh, we need to be not unashamed of those things, and uh, we need to be courageous for Christ. And like he says, and the encouragement is un until that day, the day of the Lord, when he comes back and he brings his rewards for us. We want to be there waiting to receive those rewards, rewards so that we can lay them again at the feet of our Savior. And so I encourage us to um, choose wisely and, and just to be in yourself that kind of person that is honorable and, and courageous for Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your message through uh, just this first chapter, so rich uh, to Timothy, Lord. But um, it's a calling for all of us to hold true to your word um, and not to back down from it, to be courageous, to be unashamed of the things that are in it. 
and to be unashamed of those who proclaim it proudly and rightly before all those in this world. Lord, help us to, um, to hold each other accountable. Help us to be a church that, um, <clears throat> that just holds your word in such high esteem um, that we can see it when people, fellow brothers and sisters are faltering and we're, we're bold enough and brave enough to come along beside them and help to restore them in the word, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you for that. Thank you for this church. I thank you for the elders that you put over us. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to help us to grow um, in, our, in our faith, grow in our understanding of you and who you are. And uh, Lord, we just are so, so honored to be called uh, sons and daughters of you. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that you continually pour upon us, Lord. Pray that you would just be with us as we uh, continue to worship you today through music, through uh, your word being preached. Um, Lord, that is all worship. That is you being blessed, honored, and held in the highest esteemed. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.